If you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 18, I'm going to continue speaking tonight in the series we've begun on Wednesday nights on parenting. And we started off with the topic of parenting is not for the faint of heart. And then we spoke about parenting being all about the heart, speaking of the heart of the child. And we talked a great deal about shaping influences that affect all of our hearts at tender ages and even at ages as we get older. And then last time we spoke about this, we we talked about how to begin attacking the issue of the heart as a parent when you're facing dealing with your child, a child, and the way to begin to attack the issues of the heart is to understand a role as a parent, that you're acting as God's agent. And we used as a text on that, Genesis 18, and I want to return to that with just a few comments and then move on forward into what the agent's objectives are and what they are not and talk about things that relate to the role of the agent, good things that the agent of God is required to do as a parent, bad things that can happen as the agent of God. And we want to use a very notable example from the Scripture, hopefully for part of the time tonight. Genesis 18 and verse 18. Let's read verse 18 where the Lord says, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, God says, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. So this is very interesting to wrap our minds around because I have ways and things that I want to see happen in my house, things that the way that I like things to go. And notice, and, and that may not be in contradiction with what is written in this text. But notice that God recognizes that Abraham is going to let something other than Abraham's way affect the direction that his household goes. Okay, so that's kind of intrusive if you think about it. You know, you've heard the old saying, it's my way or the highway. (laughs) And I get that. There's there's some places for that. But this is somewhat intrusive into a household, is it not? Because. Abraham is letting the principles and commands and directions of something other than Abraham be the guiding principle of his household because he's an agent of God. He sees that he's an agent. That's what an agent does. We talked about that last time. A fiduciary, an agent is one who carries out the wishes of another dealing with the precious trust or the precious um, treasure of another. So you see those children that come into a household are not the property of the parent. You get that? They are the property of God. Now, that's in a very special way when it comes to a chosen child of God, right? But you can see examples in the scripture like the house of Isaac. You know, there was precious treasure in that house, but Jacob was a child of God. Esau was not. But still... Still, you have to go back to who has the original manufacturer's patent on people. (laughs) And that is the Lord. So a child, a person, is the Lord's to do with as he will. See? And that goes back to the covenant of redemption, the covenant of grace. But regardless of whether, and and you don't know the answer to that question, and I don't either. You, You don't know. You can't say, well, this one's a child of God. That one's not. Rebecca could do that because God had told her, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. I don't ever want to know that kind of information. 
That's one of the reasons that household was such a mess. Is because she knew that one was a child of God and one was not. And so she tried to she favored the one that was, and she usurped and pushed herself into the way of God's will. God would have got all that stuff done, you see? But here's Rebecca pushing her way into the will of God, trying to get things done for God. God doesn't need Rebecca's help, see? So anyway, not to belabor that point, but the property of those children, ultimately, the manufacturer who has the patent on the way they got here is God. So we're agents of God as parents. Now, Abraham was recognized by God that he was an agent of God, that he was going to let God's will, God's commands, God's directions, God's worship, God's right and wrong be that, that which dominated his house. That's kind of intrusive. You know, it's Abraham's house. He can do as he says. He can, you know, he's the, that culture especially was a patriarchal culture. And what man said would go. And yet Abraham is demonstrating submissiveness to his household because he's submitting and laying down his way. He's submitting to God's way. Does that make sense? This is very special to God. That's why I belabor this point. This is very special to God because the Lord says, I'm going to give Abraham some inside information. And let me just say this. If you lay down your will and your way and let God's way run and dominate your house, instead of your will or my will dominating my house, you're going to have some inside information that others don't have. And that doesn't make you better. As a matter of fact, I think you'll see here that it humbled Abraham. It's not one of those things where he says, well, I'm high and mighty. I'm better than everybody else. I've got inside information. No, he's, he went around with the attitude like David and others. Who am I? Who am I to have this information? You see, Abraham laying down his way and his will as an agent of God and letting his house be directed by God's will, God's command, God's desire. It led to many, many offshoots and many different avenues of opportunities the very first one of which we read about here, where this is not the subject tonight, but God goes ahead and tells Abraham what he's going to do. He says, I'm going down there to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And this, because Abraham laid his will down and let God's will control and dominate and direct his house, Abraham gets an amazing opportunity. He gets inside information about what's fixing to happen in the future, and he is able, by humble intervention, to save the life of his poor, old, pitiful nephew Lot. <laughs> you say, well, I, I want some inside information. Like Abraham, are you sure you do? This was a very painful thing for Abraham to have to see and have to do. Are you sure you want that inside information? It's, it's good information, but be careful what you ask for. Because if you're willing to lay down your, your will for God's will to guide and direct your house as a parent... You're going to get some inside information, but some of it you may, not, you may not like when you get it. See? Abraham didn't jump up and down and go, Oh, yes! He's going to destroy all those homosexuals down there. That's, that's what I've been waiting for. Is that what Abraham did? Not at all. Abraham basically gets down on his knees and he begins to beg and plead for whoever God's children may be down in that horrible city. That's a different kind of pill to swallow, is it not? Abraham's walking a different way, is he not? He's not dealing in fire and brimstone and judgment and death. He's not dealing in that. He's dealing in mercy. Because he's trying to run a household in mercy. Does that make sense? 
So Abraham, as a fiduciary of God, to implement, to implement God's way. If, if we model what Abraham has, has done here and what God says he has done, and listen, he's not perfect. He doesn't do everything right. He's a sinner. But if we model that, then, then we are subjecting our houses to the rules and directions of another. So it's not Tim's way or the highway. And I know I probably failed in that throughout the years in, in trying to lay down my will and let the Lord's will direct our house. But I, I do recall sometimes saying, hopefully a lot of times saying, you know, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not disciplining you. I'm not taking this away from you. I'm not using the rod of correction with you because it pleases me or because it's something to do with me. God requires me to implement this, to do this. And if I don't have a verse and a scripture for why I'm doing it, then I need to step back and think, am I just doing this because I'm mad? (laughs) And because things haven't gone my way? That's definitely a temptation for parents, is it not? (laughs) So Abraham, notice what it says. God says that Abraham will command his children and his household after him, him, And they shall keep the way of the Lord. The word keep there, it means to hedge about. They shall hedge in the way of the Lord. In other words, the way of the Lord will be something special. It won't be mundane. It won't be routine. It'll be something special to do something. Not just to say, hey, we got it. We got the truth. Oh, look at us. No, to do justice and judgment. Justice means moral virtue. And judgment means literally like a jury would render a verdict. And don't we need moral virtue? And don't we need to have wisdom to render verdicts on whether or not this is right or this is wrong? Well, what's your standard going to be about that? See, how's your standard going to come? Well, if you're using God's way as your direction for the household, then you're going to have an easier time of seeing what moral excellence and moral virtue is and rendering verdicts on whether or not this is right or that is wrong because you're using God's standard. Does that make sense? You understand? Listen. You understand, that's why Abraham lived where he did. God called him out. That's why Abraham didn't live in Sodom. That's why Abraham's soul, righteous soul, was not vexed day by day by the wicked acts of the people that lived in Sodom, like Lot down there, his nephew, who had gone down there to live. So you see, it's just a different ball game going on here. You think about the house. What a contradiction, right? The houses of Lot and the houses of Abraham. I mean, those are on the, the far ends of the spectrum. That's a great study if you ever want to do it sometime. Look at the attitudes of the children of Lot. Look at the attitudes of the children of Abraham. Look at what was going on in Lot's house or not going on in Lot's house. And look at what his children were being subjected to. And look at what was going on in Abraham's house. See? So the agent's objectives. Abraham as an agent of God. Agent Abraham. (laughs) He's got different objectives than what the world or what the Sodomites had or what Lot had in his house. But you notice he didn't, he didn't set himself apart or aloof. He wasn't better than Lot. He wasn't looking at himself as, you know, I'm a better man than him. He was still trying to intercede for his poor old pitiful nephew. You see, he had mercy flowing through his heart and his mind and his thoughts. Isn't that great? So the, the agent's objectives, and I mentioned this last time, but we'll, we'll go back over them. How many times would you stop a parent on the street and say, what are your objectives for, your, for, for Junior here? And they say, oh, you know, I want him to learn how to hit home runs. I want him to play pro ball. I want him to play pro baseball, pro football, pro this, pro that. Is that really a valid objective? It's not. Now, there's, it's okay to, 
to play some sports and enjoy this and enjoy. But it, that's not a valid objective. First of all, the percentage and the odds of that happening are nil, almost nothing. I mentioned my good friend who played pro baseball at Cincinnati for eight years. He's still my good friend. And we've talked about the percentages of how, like there's, there's maybe three or four people from Pickens County in the last 75 or 80 years that have made it to the major leagues or, or pro anything. There's like three or four people, pro baseball, pro, pro football. But everybody's got the objective that their child's going to be that pro baseball or football player. See, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. That's not, a, that's not a valid objective. What about academic excellence? Now, remember, a child's got a gift and they're able to you know, do ballet or they're able to you know, play tennis or they're able to play football or baseball or fill in the blank. Uh, play softball, play volleyball, what do you fill in your blank? It's okay. It's, it's something to have fun with. It's something to help them hone their skills and also learn teamwork and build character. That's what it should be about. That's what it used to be about. It wasn't everybody wanting to be a pro player, pro ball player. So there's nothing wrong with it in and of itself as long as it is tempered with the, for the purpose that it should be used for, right? Now what about academic excellence? Nothing wrong with that, is it? You want to be the... If, if you are capable... Listen... If a child is capable of making a 4.0 and a 100 on every test, if a child is capable of that, then that is what they should be directed towards because they would be using their abilities to, to honor God and for the best of their abilities. I've joked and I proved it last Sunday because not only Brother Jim, but another visitor that we had told me how horrible I am with math. I proved it last Sunday in front of all of y'all. Some of you are going, what did he say? Shame on you. You weren't listening. But I'm not going to tell you. You just have to go back and figure it out. But I proved it. Uh, Sister Nikki got it. She knows how horrible I am with math. I was not capable of making 100 on college algebra. I wasn't capable. I'm so glad that I was in, in the class with all of the other dummies, all of the other athletes. I had a D plus going into the final. And I probably made a D on the final. And after he scaled it with all those other, dumb, all those other athletes, I've got like a B plus. <laughs> Thank God for that teacher that would scale those grades, I'm just not capable. Okay? I proved it last Sunday. But if you're capable of academic excellence, then you should excel in that. And a parent should encourage their children to excel in that. And, and so many of you, all of you, as far as I know, are, are so capable and so smart. It's amazing. You're brilliant. <laughs> just feel sorry and pray for Brother Tim when it comes to that his calculator doesn't break. Okay? But... If you're capable of that, that's wonderful. But that is not the objective. You understand? That's not the objective for a parent to... That's my whole goal in life is for academic excellence. My whole goal in life is for them to be a pro ball player. That's not feasible. That's not a godly objective. What about this? My objective is to shield my child from the influence of the world. I get that. I get it. I understand that we, as parents, we want to shield our children as much as we can from the influences of the world. But at the same time, and I'm not saying put them out there and subject them to the influences of the world, but at the same time, there has to be a balance there because guess what? Those children are going to go out and face the world one day, and if they have been completely shielded from the influences of the world or understanding how to cope or deal with the influences of the world, they're going to be trampled. They're going to be gobbled up by the world. You understand that? So there, if the goal is just to shield them, you know, like, I mean, you might as if that's the only goal, you might as well join a monastery and just move away from everything. But by the way, if you know anything about monasteries, <laughs> you better think twice about that. <laughs> Some of the most horrible and corrupt things that have ever happened in history have happened in monasteries. 
So you see, that, that's not a valid goal. And look, let me say this. We have a large um, portion of our congregation throughout the years that, and still that homeschools. And if that's something that can help you and, and be something that can benefit you in teaching and training and doing the things that God has called you to do, that's fine. It's not for everybody. It doesn't mean that you're sinning and you're doing wrong because you're not doing that. We have those that homeschool. We have those that private school. We have those that public school. I don't think I know of anybody that, that does the whole t- the tutor thing, but man, I wish I had the money to do it. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> Just hire a private tutor to come in. That'd be great. Costs a lot of money, but... You understand, just because you choose to do homeschool or you choose to private school or you choose to public school or you choose to tutor school, whatever it is that you choose, it should be done with the eye to the objectives. You see, if this best suits you, then this is what should be done. If this best suits you, then that is what should be done. But to just have the goal, I'm going to shield my children from the influence of the world. That's not a proper goal. Can't do it. Can't do it. And furthermore, if we have that in mind, we should be very cautious and careful about what influences are coming at them. I've told you before, we spoke a few weeks ago, you know, an iPad is not a babysitter. (laughs) You know, a TV, uh, it was Barney, you know, when our kids were coming up and I hated Barney, but that's another story. But, you know, the TV is not a babysitter. The iPad's not a babysitter. The games are not babysitters. They can't be. And only you as a parent can know if my child is addicted to that or not. And I know it's easy just say, go off and do this. But that's not the agent's objective as a parent. It cannot be the objective. So the agent's methods and the objectives, and we're going to talk about the objectives, and the bad objectives, bad methods, good objectives, good methods. So bad methods as an agent of God would be to bribe your children. And mom's going to remember this well. When I was four or five years old and I didn't want to sing up here at Dunn's Creek, but she bribed me. She said, I'll take you to McDonald's and get you a hamburger. So, buddy, I got up there and I sang my little heart out. And walking out of the church there in front of the preachers, they're shaking hands. Y'all did great. Y'all did great. And I said in front of the preacher, I said, Mom, you going to take me to get that hamburger now for singing? (laughs) A little bit of bribery going on there. If you're bribing kids, hey, look, I'll give you $10 if you just act right. You're going to have a mess on your hands. I'm going to, I'll get you a hamburger just for acting right. You're going to have a mess on your hands. And, and if all you're doing is punitive, like I've told you before that my, my granddaddy Springer and his brother, they said they got a spanking every single day of their young lives. Something bad was going on in that house. Those boys needed, they needed more than just a spanking. And by the way, I think it was the mother who was giving them the spanking all the time. So maybe... God rest his soul. Maybe great grandpa who was the elder and pastor over here at the church many years ago. Maybe he should have stepped in and started laying down the law a little bit. I know when my dad stepped in and, and the biceps showed up, it always made a difference. Nothing against mom, but it was just something about that authority. And when he spoke, that deep voice, it was scary. It sounded like somebody, you know, somebody off the TV that was going to get you. But if you're just constantly in punish mode, punish mode, punish mode, of course we understand it's not... It's not about punishment. It's about discipline. It's about chastening. I get that. But that's not good. That's not a proper, constant method. And I know some of you mothers, and, and I've been there, we've been there. Some of you mothers are thinking, well, that's just like about all I do for these little bitty fellows. I'm just constantly whack, 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 whack. I get it. It's part, I mean, it's part of the phases that you go through. But just hang in there. Keep at it. Keep at it. Because the phases change as you go. And be diligent. Be, be patient with it. And diligent. 
You know, emotional leverage is not uh, a proper method of the agent. Oh, you know, if, if I had a dime for the number of times that my kids have hurt my feelings, <laughs> I'd be a rich man. They could say the same thing. Daddy's hurt our feelings. You know, we, we'd all be rich if we just... But when they were little and they didn't do what I told them to do, you know, it hurt my feelings. But I didn't go up to them and say, Oh, honey, you've hurt my feelings. My feelings are hurt. You've really let Daddy down. You know, I'm not trying to emotionally leverage anything against them. You know, I know I'd just take a switch and I'd say, okay, you know, <laughs> this is how it's got to be. <laughs> but, I, but my feelings were hurt. I like what my grandmother used to say uh, when she would talk about her children. She said, you know, when they're little, they step on your toes. And when they get older, they step on your heart. <laughs> you know, so emotional leverage is not a proper method for an agent. And I was thinking about this, you know, buddy tactics, you know, just trying to be a buddy to your kids. To your children that's that's not proper because you know you're you you can be buddy like i know at times like buddies go fishing and buddies ride four wheelers and buddies do this and you know whatever else you want to fill in the blank there but you're not a parent is not a buddy in the sense of you know let's buddy up and let's just get along <laughs> you know you just can't be just a buddy you're more than a buddy okay so, so what are good objectives and good and noble methods? I'm so glad it's so simple. So glad. Daniel 1 and 4. And this has always come back to me in terms, every time I would study on child training, child teaching, for my own personal consumption and for preaching, Daniel 1 and 4 just always comes back on me. And, and my children will probably laugh because they, they'll remember this because I used it many times, have used it, and try to still use it from time to time. But this is where it says that, and it's a strange place to talk about child training, I know, but I want you to understand what was behind this. In Daniel 1, and let's, let's look at verse 3. The king spake unto Asphanaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom there was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace." That's the goal. That's the objective of teaching children. To give them the ability to stand before the king. Now, I'm extrapolating that just a little bit. To stand before our king of kings and lord of lords and serve him. But in a, in a real practical sense, you understand these children, these 10, 11, 12, 15-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 19-year-olds. These guys were prisoners of war. They were literally taken captive and carried away to Babylon, 800 to 1,000 miles away from their homeland. Don't you know they were sorrowful and they were hurting in their heart? But they had been taught and they had the ability within them to stand before the king of Babylon. And in, when they were in captivity, the king said, bring those that can stand before me. Now, this was no small feat, you understand, to stand before the king. And I remember jokingly, you know, throughout the years as the kids were growing, you know, one of them would do something that was irritating or one of them would say something they shouldn't say. They're over here smiling. They remember what they did. And I'd say, look, if you were, in, if you were one of those children in Babylon, you just got your head whacked off by the king. You just did something. And the king's going to say, off with her head. Well, off with his head, too. <laughs> And I would joke with them, and I kind of was joking, but I'm like, what you just did, you know, that, that smart comment or that, that comeback or whatever you're doing there or that forgetting to do this or forgetting to do that or do your chores or whatever, the list could go on. 
You just got your head whacked off by the king of Babylon. <laughs> you know, there's not much of a comeback to that. Is you just, you know, there's just not much of a comeback to that. You, you know, you don't have a head anymore. You just got decapitated. <laughs> That's the way it was with this king. Aren't you glad our king's not that way? Aren't you glad that you as parents and one day you, you're those of you that are, that are going to be parents, praise God, you're not that way. You're not cutting somebody's head off. But these these kids right here, these young people right here were capable of going in in the presence of the king and standing there and not getting their head chopped off. You say, who are we talking about? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Esther, Mordecai, the list goes on. You see, these were people that were capable of going in and keeping control of themselves. I was just thinking about this. You know, most of the children that I encounter in the aisles at Walmart, everyone here accepted, of course, most of the children that I, the little kids that I encounter in the aisles at Walmart wouldn't make it in front of the king. You know, they're screaming and they're shouting and they're wanting this and demanding that and all this stuff. And I, I know God love them, but they're just wild. You know, they wouldn't make it in front of the king. That's the objective. And, I, and I've said this to my children before too. What if a foreign nation did come in and take over? What if we were just subjected to something horrible like they were subjected to in the days of Germany or like they were subjected to in Japan or fill in the blank, some of the Middle Eastern countries even now where they are under totalitarian uh, type of regimes? Or what about Russian socialism and all these different, these destructive and, and destroying and consuming type governments that come in and they just dictate whatever? That's exactly what the nation of Babylon was like. The king said, off with their head, and their head went off. The king said, I want this, and it was done. The king's word was law. We just don't understand that kind of thing. But what if something like that happened? Oh, I pray that your children, my children, that we all, in some sense or another, could fall into this category that Nebuchadnezzar would come down and say, I'll take that one. That one will be able to stand before me. That one is teachable. That one is not uh, acting like a crazy person. You see, that's the objective. It, the objective is not, let's train up our children. So if a foreign nation comes in, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is to be able to stand before the king. Stand before the king of kings. That is a good objective to have. See? To lead their own homes one day. To stand before the king. That's good. That's a good objective. Now let's talk about the good methods. Proverbs, we already talked about, I believe it's Proverbs twenty nine fifteen, where it says the rod and reproof giveth wisdom. Okay, I want to talk about that reproof part of it. Reproof is just simply communication. Communication. You want to know what the method of the agent of God as a parent is. It's communication. That is the primary method now, I know when they're little and they, they can only say, blah, 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 you know, they can't really even talk, you know, uh, that, that's a little harder to do that. And that's when, of course, uh, the rod, which can be as light as a feather, <laughs> something as light as a feather. It, I know that's something that early on has to be used. But as they grow and as they are able to communicate, communication becomes the primary tool, the primary method of the agent of God. Okay. I remember when I was in elementary school and mom bought me these little brown shoes for school, little hush puppies. <laughs> That's what they're called back then. And I was a white tennis shoe kid. You know, only I just wanted white tennis shoes because that's pretty much what everybody else had. But mom brought me these little brown shoes and I hated those shoes. I, I th from the moment I laid eyes on them, I was trying to figure out how to get rid of them. 
And so the best thing that I could do was the, the day she made me wear them to school, is I, I did my best to destroy them on the playground. I ran through every mud hole. I kicked every, every, every piece of metal that I could kick. You know, I dragged them on the ground. I tried to mess them up, and, of course, she'd take them and probably shine them at night, you know. But I hated those shoes. Okay, listen. But the reason that I hated those shoes is because I felt like they made me stand out and, as opposed to all the other guys, all the other kids running around. And nobody, I don't even know if I ever told mom this, but nobody once laughed at my shoes. Nobody ever pointed and said, ha, ha, look at those brown shoes. Nobody ever did that. But I had it in my little twisted mind that, that it's like my feet were boom, glowing everywhere I went when I was in those brown shoes, boom, 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 and you know, everybody's seeing my shoes. Like nobody even cared about my shoes. But in my mind, in my head, that was very troubling to me. And praise God, I think after I tore them up, you know, a week or two went by, they were so ugly looking that she didn't make me wear them anymore. Whoa, those shoes wore out fast. Yeah, I, I did a number on them. <laughs> but the point of this is this. I, I, I should have communicated with my mother about what was really going on there. It was more than just me hating the color of those shoes. That's pretty much what I told her, though. I just hate the color of them. They look, those little brown strings. I mean, I could see them in my mind to this day. But the real story behind it, the backstory, the truth of it all, was I was afraid what my friends were going to say to me about those shoes. You see? That's what really scared me. And I didn't communicate that. And even if mom had asked me, what's really going on here? I probably wouldn't have. <laughs> but you understand... I'm communicating that here to my mother today. I'm 49 years old. <laughs> I should have talked to her about that when I was seven or eight or whatever the age I, I was. And listen, don't, don't get me wrong. As I'm sure you know, we talked about a lot of things. There was many, many things. I, I couldn't even have enough time to tell you all the stuff that we did talk about. But that's one thing I didn't talk about. Communication is key. You know, she didn't just spank me and wear me out because I didn't want to wear those shoes. You know, she worked with me. She was patient with me. And then eventually she didn't make me wear them anymore. But the real thing that was going on there is, was peer pressure in my mind and, and being embarrassed over what those shoes looked like. You know, I, I could also tell you the story of, you know, my, my Hot Wheels outfit. But <laughs> that's another day. I was a little embarrassed over that, too, especially when it was for uh, it was a skating outfit. And I never even skated in my life. But anyway... <laughs> I think Brother Neil shared with us the story of his tough skins before. Everybody's got stories like that. But the, the thing behind it is, you know, there's something going on in the heart. It's not just, I hate that, or I don't want that. You see, there's, there's things going on in the mind of a child. And who is the best person to be able to identify that and deal with that? Can y'all believe I'm already to the end? I haven't got to my example yet. Where does the time go when you're having fun? Are we ever going to get to Eli? Are we ever going to get there? I'm just, there's just too much else to look at, I guess. So we're going to save Eli for the next time because it's 7 o'clock now and we're all hungry, I know. But you understand that it's a good goal. It's a good objective for the parent to communicate with the child. And I don't mean there's times when you can't reason. You can't say, now, honey, you know, I, I just don't want you to walk out in the street there because there's a transfer truck barreling down there. You, you don't, sometimes you don't have time to reason that out, but you understand what I'm getting at. You do have other times when you're at night going to bed, when you're rising in the morning, when you're sitting at the table, when you're walking in the way. Does that sound familiar? Deuteronomy 6. You are the primary, the parent is the primary person to be able to find out what's going on in the mind and the heart of that child. And so tonight as we close... I'll leave you with this. 
the good and noble objectives and methods of the agent of God like Abraham is to communicate with their child and also to use the rod of correction. Proverbs twenty two fifteen deals with that. We'll talk about that next time. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. And the goal of all of this, the goal of this is to search out the heart. Search out the heart. Find what the weaknesses are. Find where the pressure points are. Find and learn and know that child. You see, because every child is different. Amen? <laughs> Everyone's different. I've told y'all before, I could look at one of mine and they just melt. You know, and Others of them, I had to uh, take some different <laughs> measures and means with them through the years. They're all different. But the goal of this being an agent of God as a parent, the goal is to search out the heart of the child, to find out what's going on in the heart. And the guy we're going to talk about next week was an absolute and complete failure in, in all of these areas. And his name was Eli. So you can be turning in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 2 and 13 and hold it right there until next time. Two weeks from now, we'll come back to 1 Samuel 2 and 13. And I promise we'll go right into the example so remember, God was rejoicing over Abraham who was allowing God's will and ways and commands to be that which directed his house. And that is the way that we want to be as parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, whatever it may be. We want to lay our will down and let God's will direct what goes on in that house.